Welcome back to The Secret Runner, a weekly podcast in which I'll be talking to an international Ironman competitor, My Secret Runner, to get training tips and coaching advice for everyday runners like myself to reach their next personal best. We're not releasing this episode late, we're just shifting our release date back to Thursdays from now on. This gives us more time to get everything together and makes the process more efficient for us, which makes The Secret Runner happy. This week we'll be discussing how to fit training around your everyday life, how my training plan is coming together and the progress I'm noticing, and we'll get an insight into the Secret Runner's training plan and his rest and recovery. So let's get to it. Hello for the third time, Secret Runner. How are you? Hello, Pete. I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm fine. That's taken us three times for you to say hello back. But we're ready. Let's go into discussing fitting your training in around your life. Yeah, well, this is a big topic, um, one that's really relatable for everybody. Most of us have work. We like to be able to train around that. Yeah, this is a big topic, really, and, and one that can make a big difference to most people in their lives. Yeah, if you'd asked me a year ago, would I be able to do the amount of running that you get me to do? I'd say no, there's no way I'd fit that in. Maybe at the beginning, because it was all much shorter, like 20 and 40 minute runs. But the longest ones you've got me doing, 80 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the time to leave and shower, and it takes like an hour to, to stop sweating when I get in and all that stuff. It takes hours to fit it all in, but it's increased over time. And it was like a little wedge. The little 20 minutes slotted itself in somewhere in my life and then forced the rest of its way in. But I cope with it around the three kids, the dog, the job, taekwondo, all the other commitments I throw at myself. But I still managed to fit it in. But I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to do as much as you've given me. And it's considerably less than you do. I could probably rattle through some obvious uh, ways of trying to fit running and, and sport in around life. I wonder if I go through those and then we'll come back to you and see how many of those that you already do. Because we've not really spoken about this to each other. I wonder if there's anything on top of what I say that makes it easier for you to fit into your life. I mean, the obvious ones are using your commute as training time. So this works for running or cycling. Uh, you can run to work, you can cycle to work. You could do both, even if, if you live a lot further away and you need to get the train, then you can get off a couple of stops before and run run in or get off, get the train halfway there with your bike and bike the rest of the way. There's all sorts of ways of fitting it in to and from work. And then on top of that, you can almost tailor your training sessions for it. So if it's an easy ride or an easy run, that's fairly easy to fit into a commute on the way or on the way home from work. If you're needing to do something more interval based, then you can even fit that in by using things like lampposts as your interval markers. I've done that before quite a lot. So running a set number of lampposts as my intervals and then running a set number of lampposts as my recoveries between those intervals. So there's all sorts of unique and creative ways that you can do that. And personally, I always used to get satisfaction about getting home from work 
and the training for the evening or the day was already complete. I'd already done it. Yeah. It feels like you have much more time left in your evening and it feels like you have just got nothing but a pure gain because you would have had to have got home from work anyway. So that is of it's an obvious one, but it's also a really satisfying good one. In terms of commuting though, generally you go there and you go back again. So you would end up doing two runs in a day. Does that matter? Could you Would you tailor it so one's easy, one's hard or something like that? I would say that that's not necessarily the case. So unfortunately, it depends about facilities at your workplace and things like that. But I used to cycle into work one day and then leave my bike there sometimes and then get the train home or get public transport home. Or because I'm doing more training sessions, I might cycle in and then do a run on the way home or vice versa. There are some cities around the world where you can swim to work. I live in probably one of the only ones where I do know that people use the river to commute. They use dry bags and they shovel their stuff into them, float down the river with their dry bag and then get out and um, there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. The key thing I'd say about all of that is planning. I probably say this quite a lot, but if you plan the night before or in advance to the week coming up, if you make sure that you know that you've got all the right clothes in the right place, like I even used to take clothes into work on days that I would drive into work and leave them at work so that I didn't need to carry them with me when I was going to be running in the next day, that sort of thing. Yes, taking stuff to work and leaving it there in advance and thinking two three days ahead or whatever it helps massively like i sound like myself talking to my kids but pack your bag the night before so when you get up you just have to put your shoes on and go or you know drop stuff off two days before when you get the car or whatever sticking to that plan it makes it so much easier yeah and that feeling like you said like oh i'm free and i've been for a run i'm great Absolutely. And then another one that obviously you've got, you've got lunch times. I personally never like to use lunch times. I just, just didn't like it. But some people, it works for them. I know plenty of people that used to run or, or get some sort of session in at a lunchtime. For me, it didn't work. That's not to say it couldn't for you. That is one of the things about this. It is about personal preference because everyone's lives are slightly different. I don't have children you do so there is going to be times that I can fit things in that you can't yeah it's about making the most of what your given situation is referring to lunch again it's like half an hour in the middle of the day and I tend to be quite defensive of it and like if I end up having to walk the dog on lunch I always feel slightly resentful of him because oh you're taking my lunch and then five minutes when I like once I'm out the door I'm like oh this is a lovely and it's the same with running so on Tuesday, I needed to run in the evening, but I was going to a work social for the first time in like 18 months, which would have been when I should have been running. So I ran on my lunch break instead. I don't like to do anything on my lunch breaks. I like to sit on my butt and do as little as possible, but it's just a luxury. And if I give it up, I feel better in the long run for doing it. So it's nice to have it as an option. I actually, I, I agree there, uh, apart from the fact that you call it a luxury, I think a lunchtime, this is probably why it didn't work for me, but I think a lunchtime is incredibly important, and it was for me. It was my halfway reset throughout the day. I think it is really important to take that break and, and, and not do anything. I always used to take myself off for a little walk, something really light, and that just used to make me feel really happy. And then you're obviously ready to work again in, in the afternoon. I do agree. 
but running or walking the dog or something healthy like that is still beneficial for me. Yeah, absolutely. So the other one that I'd like to talk about or that I think is important about fitting in around your life and that is talking to the people around you and making them aware. So my wife has a job whereby she can work really early mornings or really late nights. She's a pilot so can work at all all times of the day. So we communicate clearly about what my training is and about when she's going to be at work, things like that, so that we can make the most of, like, who's cooking dinner tonight? Are you going to be here for dinner tonight? That sort of thing. So I know that if she's going to be out working late, I'm going to have to cook my own dinner. So what I might do is that I might choose to do a bit of a longer session that night, prep my dinner earlier on in the day so that I know when I get in, it's just all there ready to go. And I can spend I can spend all evening and I know that I'm not eating into anyone's time but my own. Whereas say she is going to be about, then she might off to cook dinner. Uh, and then that's one less thing that I need to think about. Um, but I might do a slightly shorter session so that we can spend time together. Now I can imagine that's enhanced even more when you've got kids. But But the overall thing that I'm trying to get across there is like, whether you're competing at an international level or whether you're just starting out and wanting to maybe increase the amount of time that you're training, it's good to have a good team around you. The best athletes in the world, they're not just individuals. They have a, a whole team around them. And it's not so dissimilar, really. I'm not one of the best athletes in the world, but I make sure that I surround myself with people who understand what it is that I'm trying to achieve so that they understand when I'm not going to be around for this event or that event, or that they understand that, oh, no, I'm not going to be around all day Saturday because I'm training all day Saturday. And when I've done with training, I'm not going to be around because I'm going to be recovering from training. Um, and it's the same, I guess, if you've got time, if you, if you can speak to your wife and go, look, on Tuesdays, I plan to have a long run. Are you okay on that night for me to do my long runs between, say, seven and nine or seven and eight? That, that for me, I think is, is pretty key. Yeah. No, no, definitely makes sense. And I am utterly useless at taking into account the time, not that it takes to do something like, you put very specifically do a, an 80 minute run fine that's 80 minutes but I'm utterly useless at the padding that goes around everything else yeah I completely understand that and I guess that is a case of being honest with yourself because I've done that in the past I've gone right I've got a long run it's all right I'm only I've only got two hours but realistically it's not just like you say it's not just two hours also, like with everything, the more experience you get or the more you do it, the more experience you become. And even that padding around it, you get more efficient at that as well. That's not to say that you skimp on recovery, but uh, you'll just become more efficient. I suppose it's real world transitions. It's not taking your shoes yeah. off, take your swimsuit off, get on the bike. It's put the kids to bed, feed the dog, <laughs> open yeah. the post, make sure you've renewed your car insurance. And then after you've done all that, then you can get ready and then go out or whatever it is. So real world transitions. And with that comes all the risk of doing too much and making sure that you, you're not 
I guess it works both ways that you're not overexerting yourself in your training and not getting enough recovery because you've got all this real world stuff to do straight afterwards. And then vice versa, it can go the other way if you start ignoring your real life and focusing too much on the running or, or whatever sport it is that you're doing. And again, yeah, I guess that's just being aware. I'm sure, I'm sure most of us have got someone around us who hopefully would give us a kick up the arse if that started to become the case. Yeah, that's normally your mate saying you haven't been to the pub recently or you've missed too many events, you need to come and join in. Yeah, they're some of the obvious ones for me. Are there any that you've done that has made your life easier? Any tips that you think might be helpful for people or anything you've done? <laughs> I don't know if I call it a tip. So I've, I've got a, a dog now and I've had him a year and he's a very loving and affectionate and boisterous Labrador um and I took him with me on a run for the first time last night um it was an easy run so and I and I found a field that I could just lap which meant he didn't just have to run solidly for half an hour following me because that might be a bit much on his young joints so I was going to ease him in so he could putt around as I looped and it was a big field and one of his problems is he's so pleased to see every dog or person he runs over to them and he jumps up and down and he gets sometimes right up in people's faces. So I was worrying about like taking him for a walk and that was going to take 45 minutes. And I was worried about fitting the run in. That's like a whole hour and a half plus transit time plus plus transitioning between a dog walk and a run. And so just combining those two together, it's the first time I've done it. I've seen other people run with their dogs and that's something that I, I would like to do more often. It went really well apart from a couple of dogs that followed us for bloody ages and wouldn't leave him alone. So he got really excited and ran around in circles. And it did mean that my my running was a little intermittent, like I'd stopped to pick his ball up. I specifically planned to do that on an easy run. So it didn't matter if I was walking at points, but it was good. It was combining two things into one. It was just, it just made me twice as happy. Not only had I had a good dog walk, I'd had a good run. I think you've just hit on something which I think is absolutely key there. You had a goal for that training session and by taking the dog with you at the same time, it didn't compromise what that goal was. You still achieved what the focus and the aim of that session was and you've not compromised the real life thing that you were meant to be doing. He still got his good walk in. You still got your focus session in and achieved what you needed to in that. And I think that's the absolute key when you're looking for, I guess, what life hacks around how to fit your training in around life. What I would be wary of is if you start compromising on the training in order to fit something in and vice versa, because that's not really helping anyone because you're you're almost just wasting time then because you're not achieving the, the goal and the focus of the session. So you'd have to argue are uh, you actually saving time because it's time that you're going to still need to invest at some other point because you've not achieved what it is that you actually set out to do. So I guess those are questions that we can all ask ourselves when we're trying to look for ways around it. Just, yeah, finding a way to combine two activities into one. Yeah, love efficiency. So to summarise then, for fitting in your training around life, we reckon planning, surrounding yourself with understanding people, good communication, efficiency and don't compromise if there's any that you do that we've not spoken about we'd love to hear about them so head over to thesecretrunner.com and send us a message on one of our channels 
So this week's question from the audience seeker runner is actually from me. And this is something that I was thinking about when kind of inadvertently doing a hill session with my running club when I was supposed to be doing an easy run. So running up a hill, when very tired, is it better to slow down and keep going to walk for a little bit to like, you know, sort of recover partly or would the worst thing to do be to stop there? So what's the what's the best thing to do if you're going, if you're struggling massively, particularly uphill, what's the best way to handle it? I hate this answer, but I'm sorry to say it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If it's a race, then I would definitely suggest to slow down. If you're struggling, you're going up a hill, you're struggling, then it is best to slow down. Now, that slowing down for one person might be slowing down to a jog. Uh, For someone else, it might mean slowing down to a walk. If it's in training, then I would say it depends on what it is you're trying to achieve from that training session. If you're doing hill reps and intervals, then just at that point when you're, you're starting to feel really knackered and want to slow down, push harder because you're trying that's what you're training on you're training doing hill reps or whatever it is so push yourself to to the limits of the training session for what it is that you're trying to achieve so let me ask you what what type of run was it that you were doing well it's supposed to be an easy run so 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 shouldn't have been on hills well no it's fine to do an easy run on hills but do that so whatever feels easy when it comes to an uphill for you if it was a light jog that felt easy on the uphill for you then I would say go to a light jog but if that even that felt too hard then ease off even more and yeah but potentially walk it but what I wouldn't say to do is stop as in stand still unless you've been doing an absolute all-out max effort it's good idea to keep moving because that's kind of it's like active recovery so if you're moving your blood's still pumping so it's still removing all all sort of like the waste products from your legs that you want to keep that circulation going so that you continue to recover whereas if you just stop dead uh, everything kind of might shut down especially you run the risk of feeling lightheaded as well which we have in taekwondo because we do a lot of explosive stuff and you know a lot of intervals and then pausing but when we pause, we make sure people don't stand still and just walk around the edge of the hall and then we'll go back into it. And Otherwise, I think you, you suffer a lack of oxygen in the, in the head, don't you if, you, if you stop immediately. And that's because you, you start, you're stopping the circulation functioning quite as efficiently as it should. So, yeah, you want to keep that oxygen and the blood pumping around the body so it can do all the various jobs that it does. So there's no one answer, which, which seems obvious now. Yeah. What is it you're trying to achieve? You've asked a question, but what does the question apply to exactly? So in this instance, it, it makes a big difference whether you're running up that hill because it's a race or you're running up that hill because of the various different training sessions. They all have different outcomes of what you're trying to achieve from it. So what is it you're trying to achieve by running up that hill? And then from that, you can judge whether or not you need to go slower, faster, stop as hard as you can, whatever it may be. Right, okay, that makes more sense. So, Pete, your training plan. How are we getting on? I believe you're on an R&R week. Um, You've been away camping. Yep. uh, Which I looked up the campsite. It looked lovely there, down on the coast. It was like a 
festival site. It was absolutely rammed. It was lovely, but it was huge. It was like being Glastonbury or something. It had like six fields, seven fields. It was, it was mad. But I had we had a lovely little pitch, nice little camp, and it was very relaxing. And um, you know, it was good. It was definitely some good R and R. And you went away with some friends of ours. I was quite jealous when I was looking it all up that I, I couldn't be there. Yeah, so that's a great way to spend your R&R week. Um, did you manage to do just like your couple of easy runs that we had planned for your R&R week? I did one easy run when we got back, which I maybe I left too long because I did struggle to stay in zone two without without meaning to, without really looking at the watch. Every time I glanced down, I was just edging to zone three, which was frustrating. I mean, other factors that could have come into play there is that you were obviously driving and had travel. So that that all plays into fatigue and stuff like that. So yeah, that's probably something worth noting for future. You don't know for sure what it was, but um, in future rest weeks, yeah, maybe you can have a think about that and what days you think it is best to run following the end of your last hard training week just so that it keeps you ticking along so that you're still recovering at a optimum recovery level, but but also sustaining some extra work. I think partly it was just um, sort of, it'd been a little while since I'd run, just enjoyed it, wasn't really paying attention and just let myself run. I didn't, it didn't feel like hard work and I got in and, you know, I was fine. I could have kept going obviously for significantly longer, but I think it was mostly just a bit absent-minded and just, I guess I sort of ran at my my default easy tempo uh, instead of holding back slightly. But no, it was fine. Just heart rate was up a little bit. But otherwise, it felt nice, easy, gentle little 20-minute run. Cool. And so you've got your TT test coming up to finish your rest week off. Yeah, so I'm excited. I really want to go hard on it. got a little bit of a headache this morning, annoyingly, which I don't know where it's come from. So I'm going to fill myself with water through the day and um, I'll go out early evening when it's cooler, which seems to be sort of the best time for me to run if I don't leave it too late. But yeah, that's today and that's a little bit of me that's excited to see if I've got my average pace lower, but I know I shouldn't worry too much about it. But yeah, that'll be later today and I'm looking forward to that. Good. Uh, Yeah, and so next week is my first build phase. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Are you going to give me any clues as to how things will change or will I have to wait until after you've got my TT result? No, I can start working on that now actually but your TT times will feed into it but that will only be sort of like the details of the sessions themselves. I'll have a look at that today actually so it's all there ready to go for you. That's going to be, yeah, first build phase. So if you've enjoyed the first bits of tougher efforts that you've had in your last, towards the end of your base phase, then you can start looking forward even more because now it does start to get a bit tougher. Okay, yeah. There tends to be a bit more dread before I get to them, but then they happen without really really noticing it when I'm there. And then afterwards, it just feels so much better to have done something hard and the thing I find is that you'll still have your easy run each week and that easy run, whereas up until now it's just one of many runs and you've had quite a few easy runs because you just have this like one easy run each week, you really look forward to it. Um, and and when that session comes around, you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, the easy run, I can just 
go out and enjoy this run. So yeah, try and take enjoy the bits that you you can enjoy like that, but without the dread. And the runs over the last few weeks have built up, and I'm running you know far past 10k. I think about 12 was the last one, and then obviously the the hill sessions and strides drills are still going on. And I did find that the last stride drill I did as as part of one of the easy ones, I was doing strides as well. I was actually having to slow myself down to get the right cadence. So the first couple I did, I'd really, really push it. And then I'd be hitting like 32 and sort of counting as I was running, looking at the clock a few seconds left and actually sort of easing off in the last few seconds so I didn't run over. 31, I think, was the limit I was supposed to run out. 30 to 32, but yeah. Yeah, okay. So so then obviously the next few runs don't quite push so hard so that it's it's a nice consistent pace because the first two or three, I'd sort of get there and it'd be like 18, 19 seconds and I was already hitting 30. So I was like, oh, no, I don't need to go any quicker. So just the last ones, it was nicer because uh, it just felt like my natural pace without having to push quite so hard was actually much closer to the 30. And if I really pushed... I was going too quick and had to slow. So that was a really nice realisation, like, oh, this is working. And I guess I started to piece together in my head. It's easier to run quicker and it's much easier to maintain that distance and time, like, and go well beyond it. And they're kind of, feels like they're converging yeah. a little bit, which I guess is your plan. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice. I can run much further than 10K or much longer than 45. And it takes a lot less effort to... um to maintain that cadence. I don't know how that translates to pace necessarily, but no, it feels like it's coming together. That, so the the next progression on from that is to start picking landmarks. And so now that that 30 to 32 is coming more naturally in those strides, now you can actually start to putting more power down into each of that stride. So not at the moment, but that might be where we start to look more at a real like strength training program. So the more power you're putting in, obviously the more distance you're getting for each stride length. And so what effectively should happen is that you're doing those 20 second stride runs, you're hitting your 30 to 32 consistently, and the landmark at where you finish the 20 seconds should start to get further and further away from your starting point. Is this not lengthening my stride to travel further? Is it getting more to be sort of springing further forward with each one? That is your stride length. But not not stretching my legs to go further, but making more of a spring with each one. Yeah, with stride length, you shouldn't be stretching your leg to lengthen your stride because then that's just going against all your run for... That's not how you increase your stride length. You increase your stride length by creating a more powerful muscle so that as you push off, you're going further for each step. Yeah, okay. I think in my head it was reaching my leg further, like stretching further. If you're stretching your leg forward out in front of you to try and increase your stride length, your means your contact point's going to become further forward in front of you. And that's like putting the handbrake on. That's exactly what my father-in-law said to me when I was talking to him recently. He said a lot of people run too far forward and they dig their heel in as they're landing and then they're just putting a brake on. Yeah. Which makes sense. 
So it's like going handbrake on, handbrake off, handbrake on, handbrake off, handbrake on, handbrake off. Um, and so you can imagine when you're running that that's going to have a real detrimental effect. So you look at someone like uh, Mo Farah running when they're really flying. It looks like their leg goes really far out in front of them. And it does because their other leg is pushing off with so much power. By the time that they bring that leg back down underneath them, they're striking almost behind where their hip is. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's what the important thing to focus on. I can completely understand now, having had this conversation, that people might focus on trying to stretch that leg further forward. But what we've actually got to focus on is the power at which the other leg is pushing off the ground from. So that's another thing that you can, now that you're starting hammering those stride sessions so regularly, that now you can start to change your focus. The caution that I'd say when doing that is just make sure that you don't let what you've already done start to slip. So always keep the basics and build on it. Which is the perfect time because we're at build one. Yeah, to me it feels like being able to maintain pace in the higher zones for the duration is the main thing I need to work. So I can get to paces that I need easily but but I haven't really tried maintaining them for long but that is exactly it now that's exactly what we'll start to see an increase of in the build one and especially that metric that you've been gagging to use is your minutes per kilometer we'll actually start to introduce that as another data point now so you've had your RPE you've had your heart rate you can start to see how those two interact with each other or you have seen how they interact with each other and you've seen how each one has their pros and their cons, so you can't rely on either or one of them all the time. And then now we're going to introduce the pace per kilometer. And again, that's going to be really useful for you for pacing a 45 minute 10k, but it's exactly the same. You can't rely solely on that because if your 10 kilometer goes up a hill for the entire 10 kilometers, then your pace per kilometer is not going to be an accurate measure. So yeah. We'll introduce another data point. It gives you just another string to your bow. Uh, So, yeah, I think, again, that's something that I know you naturally steer towards is your pace per kilometre. So hopefully that'll be something that keeps you motivated now and look forward to in this next phase. Yeah, I've always always previously used that as my measure. Um, And when I see pyramid intervals, I was using that. But even going back to using it, I won't drop what you've taught me so far with heart rate and an RPE because even now with heart rate if if my heart rate doesn't look right I'll still go back and think well my RPE feels okay so you know continue as I am for now and then I, I do find later on the heart rate drops and something else is it might be contact between my wrist and my watch or or a, a slight incline I hadn't noticed I don't know but yeah more more things to reference my running on yeah it just makes it easier to know that I'm doing the right thing And then going back to what we spoke about a few weeks ago and this being the build phase. So you were saying that about sustaining the paces that you need for that 10K for a period of time. And you're you're, you're saying that feels like the thing that you're missing out on at the moment. That absolutely makes sense. We've been going through the base phase to increase your level of fitness. Now in this build phase is when we start to look at the specific dresses and the specific needs and requirements of the goal or the race that you have in mind and that feeds into it perfectly we now need to make sure that you can sustain the pace that you wish to 
get your 10k PB. And um, the 10k run that I'm doing, which isn't my 45 minute target, no. that I think is in four weeks from now. It's actually in, in the R&R week, um, which I'm assuming you've planned perfectly yeah. to work that way. And will that be instead of the TT? Yes. It will be the TT itself. Yeah, I guess it. I guess rather than it being a 30-minute TT test that week, it's um, a 10K TT, which if you didn't have that race that week, then we probably wouldn't have you doing a 10K TT. But what we'll do that week is we'll do almost like a practice run of a taper in the week leading up to that race. So that won't look like a traditional R&R week. We'll have you doing lower volume that week, but I'll probably have you doing some higher intensity stuff just to make sure that you're all ready and fired up for that race on the Sunday. And one more thing on it, and I do this with the TTs. I have a good warm-up before. Yeah, so I guess I need to be doing a good like, 15, 20-minute warm-up before the 10K itself. But you get stuck in a holding pen for 15, 20 minutes, like waiting in a queue. Yeah. And you can jog about and like skip and stuff, but you haven't really got space to jog around and warm up. Two things there. First is the warm up. At that point, there's no right or wrong way to warm up other than just warm up the way that you have been. Don't do anything new at that point. Don't do a shorter warm-up than you usually would. Don't do a longer warm-up than you usually would. Just warm up to the point that makes you feel ready and good to go without causing any fatigue or anything like that. Second point is, yep, going into that holding pen, that is just part of race day, unfortunately, and it's why people do sort of like practice races and B races uh, throughout the year before their big main race because you kind of want to prepare the body for that as well it's just another part of training almost is that you're going through those motions of what it is that race day requires from you so what you identified there already is exactly the way to go about it don't just stand still unless you find that that really works well for you Um, but my advice probably would be to just keep moving lightly just yeah a bit of jumping up and down and a bit of like skipping or whatnot don't just sit down on the floor and wait (laughs) no they have like a bridge over it and they get like a mr motivator type you know fitness trainer to go up and they put music on he gets everyone doing something just to keep people warm so i guess a warm-up there'll be a little bit of a lull but i'll do my best but i'll end up cooling down a small amount and then at the start of the 10k i i wouldn't be in exactly the same warmed up state as i've been in the tt trials don't worry you will be in a still good warmed up state we call it a warm-up the point of it isn't to actually create heat and temperature in the body it's it's about actually firing up all the systems do try to keep a good temperature because maintaining a good temperature i.e not overheating or getting cold is gonna have an effect if you do have one of those things but you've done the important bit by doing the warm-up you're firing up the muscles you're getting the aerobic system going you're getting the blood pumping around the body so although it is different don't let it plan your mind too much because you'll still be ready to go and you've you've been through the warm-up If it was going to be crazy long, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, then maybe I would talk about more of like a warm-up you could do in that holding pen. But no, having gone through the warm-up, it will still be fit for purpose and and will do everything that you need to do. One thing I'd say about that Mr. Motivator bit is by all means, 
this is a bit uh scroogey i guess but like don't feel pressured to join in in that if they start asking everyone to do something that you're like oh never done this before in a warm-up or well this this seems strange anything like that just yeah don't worry about being the grump and not not participating (laughs) in it if it doesn't feel right for you there's no problem there. I, I've often been the grump and be like, I'm not doing that. You look stupid. Yeah. And then I just sort of jog on the spot and like jiggle about and stuff. But yeah. no, that's good. All right. Don't worry too much. It's not that long a pause. And also they let like a batch go and then everyone moves up and then they let the next batch go. And, and I think with the time I've put down, I'll probably not be, be too far from the beginning. Okay, so Secret Runner, on to your training. So you had your big day last time we spoke, so how has your training gone this week? Good. Um, So I had my big day, which I often usually do at the end of a training block and then go straight into a rest week. The way that things have worked, having to move stuff around ahead of this race that I've got in September, I couldn't do that this time. took two days of complete rest with no sport whatsoever, and then started my training week on Tuesday instead of Monday. So which um, phase are you in now? Which week are you on of your plan? I'm in my build phase, um, and this is the last week of my build phase before I have a rest week and then go into my peak phase, which is very short. Always a little bit unsure of how the training week will go after big day, but I've slipped straight back into it okay really maybe just had to take it a bit easier in certain sessions but everything's gone to plan and with it being the build phase there's some quite more higher intensity stuff I've been enjoying it to be honest I had my long run today and I haven't had anything else today apart from my long run so that's actually been really nice because most days I usually have two sessions Um, And I know that I've also got an easier day coming up tomorrow. So I'm feeling motivated, especially at this point. You come into the end of that block and you've got that rest week coming up. I'm really going to feel like a reward. It's also my last rest week before my race. So I'll be taking that seriously. And yeah, it's like a big, big reward because I know it's going to be the last time I have a proper rest week before race day. So this rest and recovery week coming up. Obviously, I only do one TT, one test in it, but you you will do just a bike and a run then? Yeah, I will. So so I suppose your the rest and recovery weeks for a duathlon are a better rest than they would be for a triathlon? Because you don't have to do the third test? Yeah, I guess you're probably right. And then do you still still have easy runs or some equivalent for yours? Or because you have two activities that week... Do you not need to do the easy runs as well or or something similar? I generally don't run in my rest weeks. I'll probably do um, either some swim or recycling just because of the reduction of impact. And it's much easier to do a recovery session as cycling or swimming. So you you will still do an easy activity as well as the, the two tests? I'll probably still do something maybe five days out of the seven. Oh, okay. So that's <laughs> massively different. So on a normal week for you, how many days are you training? Either six or seven days. <laughs> so on a normal week, almost every day. And then will you have rest days with gentle work in them? 
Yeah, so I've actually got my training plan up in front of me. So, uh, so I'll try and find a good example. So from, from my point of view, looking at this, it's, it's very colourful and there's very little white space left between the mass of activities you've planned in. But it generally seems once a week you give yourself a day off. Yes, I try to give myself one, one day a week off. That works well for me psychologically. It's a nice little uh, reward each week. You talk about the reward at the end of the training block. That's my weekly reward. I think we've spoken in the past. I use it as like a flexible floating day. So sometimes I have to stick stuff into it. I do find it's interesting because the stuff you give me tends to feel either low or high intensity with, you know, a day or two between each one. That seemed like this big revelation in how you train. (laughs) And it's still for something relatively low level. And then I look at yours and it's just the amount of thought and detail that has gone into your plan. It is insane. It must take you so long to work it all out. It does. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole year's work. This is um, it's a lot of thought that goes into it before I begin. Um, and there's a lot of thought that goes into it throughout. So, yeah, next week I'll have finished in the end of my bill period. So I'll give you an update then on how I'm feeling. Hopefully I'll be feeling nice and rested. Fingers crossed at that point, I'll be itching and ready and raring to go for the last couple of weeks before my race. Thanks for joining me once again, Pete. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, head over to thesecretrunner.com where you can find links to our various social media. Get on there and send us any of your running questions. So off you go, stay motivated and go share your secret. <laughs>